0: is a quote from Ajahn Sucitto. All in all, processes of karma vipaka is like that of an ocean that can lift us up, engulf us, or sweep us in any direction. It operates through continual interplay between inherited effects. As they arise in the present, and the range of consequent responses and inclinations to act. The past is not dead, its effects carry potential, and the future will arise according to how we act. This is the seemingly boundless ocean of samsara. So much of what we're with in our practice as we shine a light into our experience, light of awareness and mindfulness, is this boundless ocean of samsara in all its affects. Um, And that in and of itself is not easy to endure actually certainly coming into this kind of a space in such a contained way for so long, um, so many days and nights and silence and inner reflection. There's a real heightening of awareness of the vagaries of, of the mind This mind is forever ceaselessly restless, often. Um, Wandering, looking, reacting, remembering, cogitating. um, And fueling, often, the cognitive processes is the felt sense, emotional content of our experience of this experience of samsara, which is also even more hard to tolerate sometimes. Different feeling tones that come up and wash through our nervous system, um, much of which we personalize and take very, it feels very personal, it is very personal. But in a certain way, the Buddha also talked about feelings as winds that just come through, like the wind that came through here a few weeks ago and blew some trees down and was quite dramatic for a while, knocked the lights out. Sometimes the wind of feelings a bit like that are definitely our lights get knocked out (laughs) and blows a few trees of our samadhi down and we feel a bit defeated, And some winds are light breezes and they just sort of ripple and we get a bit restless. But these are the winds of the the world. experience, mind and world, mind and world reflecting each other, mirrors to each other, projecting onto each other. And this ceaselessness, is feeling sometimes how ceaseless this is. And when we're not aware, then for sure there's this rolling on, and then the only option really for relief is usually some sense of you know, how can we distract ourselves from this? How can we alleviate that, that, uh, those feelings that are uncomfortable to be with? How can we shift the channel? Um, so, you know, kudos to everyone really to have put yourself in this situation and to be willing to be that point of knowing and mindful awareness that's sort of where those waves crash sometimes or roll into that place of stopping. The waves don't necessarily stop, but there's a moment of that, those moments that we've been building of samadhi, of gathering, deepening the breath, being with the breath, being with sound, being with body sensation—whatever there's a focus of our attention—away from attention just being pulled through and into that momentum, the karmic momentum that's risen from so many causes and conditions: familial, ancestral, cultural, global, collective, personal. It's quite a soup, actually, stuff. So that's not, it's not easy to do what we've been doing. You know, some people will say, oh, you know, you just go sit on your butt for a month, sounds very good. <laughs> it's like, that's like, you know, you're just checking out. I remember when I was a nun, people would always say that, you know, you're just checking out. And I would was so sort of, I feel a bit like, well, actually, yes, I am. <laughs> Checking out, you know, anyone in their right mind would figure out, try and figure out how to check out of this crazy scene. But, um, but actually, I felt like I was. My intention was really to explore the mechanism of samsara, how this keeps getting perpetuated, the engine of it, it keeps repeating, you know, and how I, I would just experience the affect this, the being rolled around in the dukkha of it all and then reacting like mad to that dukkha. Or just, you know, um, being lost in these very deeply conditioned mind states, feeling despair or depressed or disconnected, disassociated, confused. These kinds of feelings and mind states. In the dharma... This is uh, Jen Cha would teach his main transmission in many ways wasn't so much a method or technique, many of which we've been using and many of which you know and have been practicing, but what he was called samadhiti or right view, which is transportable. You know, as he said, even if you haven't got a lot of samadhi, you just need enough to read a book to contemplate into the deeper, subtle aspects of the Buddha's teaching. Things are changing. Where is the sense of self here? How is that operating? Who does this belong to? These kinds of inquiries. So this, this right view, this is the wisdom factor of the path. And Eightfold Path begins with that, establishing some right view. Because if we don't have that, then as Kiddhisaya was quoting from the Shurangama Sutra the other day, the Indestructible Samadhi Sutra, Enduring Samadhi Sutra, which is the ground of the Zen practice, from which the Zen practices, the Chan practices emerge, it's a bit like polishing a brick, hoping to make a mirror, or... Cooking sand to make uh, to make a delicious meal <clears throat> that we can beaver away, putting a lot of effort in, um, trying to change the conditions of our experience. You know, hoping if we can just change the furniture around. And we do a lot of that in life, don't we? We just move this piece over here, get move that person out over there. <laughs> It's not to say all of that's not important to rearrange the furniture. I think, you know, there's a skillful means to create the context that's the most supportive, you know. That's skillful contemplation, but there are moments when we can't actually do that. You know, we get sick, or we're dying, or we're in a conflict. and uh, Or some samkhara comes up, some deep tendency, and Whichever way we move, it doesn't seem to be abating, whatever practices we throw at it. So as he said often to his disciples, when you, you can't go up and you can't go down, and you can't move to the sides, you can't really wiggle out of the experience by moving the furniture, by turning on the TV. I mean, we basically surf the net nowadays. Changing the channel then, you know, what do you do when you're really up against that flow of samsara, that flow of karmic, the karmic momentum. It was Ajahn Siddhita would say eyeball to eyeball with your karma. You know, it's very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable, very challenging. And so, you know, you know, again, kudos to everyone for being willing to put themselves in that Container of not being able, uh, this container of. It's not really a, a distraction laden world here at Forest Refuge. You know, we can read the jars and. I mean, actually, there's not even a lot to read. And, you know, oh, I guess there's the library, but then it's just going to talk about the Dharma and it's like, okay, well, I have to go back to that then. <laughs> so, so it gets a little bit like, you know. um <laughs> when I was growing up in the U.K., we used to have this series called The Prisoner. I think they redid it in the U.S. recently. And it was about this guy that lived on this island that was like this, this it's like a prison. And he kept trying to escape. And he thought he'd escaped, only to realize he's just in another version of the prison. And I remember I used to watch that, so he never could quite escape. I used to feel quite like I was suffocating, like this suppression of this feeling, you know, it's... The, the, the unscapable nature. You know, so that's kind of a little bit like what we do, you know, when we just move, you know, but really we didn't quite escape, as Ajahn Chah would say, you know, we just got a good lawyer to spring us out for a while from a difficult situation, but we didn't understand the causes, what, what put us there in the first place. This right view, the samadhi, to be willing when those moments come and even when they don't, to rather than just, okay, I'm just going to hold my samadhi until I get hit with something and then I'll look at it. You know? <laughs> it's that kind of feeling, like, you know, defense, you know, all my defense, I'm really like, just, you know, we can practice a bit like that and then, you know, and then we're going to have to leave in a few days, most of us, and then the world hits and we can really get dissipated and overwhelmed unless we have that that in, in place, that right I view, and even being willing not just to sort of like hunker down and just try and hold on to some, you know, one of those waves comes and then, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do my practice then, but to actually consciously go out and meet the conditions, to more fearless, you know, once we establish when there's more strength of refuge, knowing, knowing how to return to the knowing awareness, presence, taking a breath, taking three deep breaths, resourcing ourselves. Sometimes it doesn't take, you know, like a whole month to do that. You can do it in three or five breaths. Okay, let me just re-establish. Metta. You know, I'm actually here and trusting these practices, returning to them. Then we can actually move to meet what's the conflict what's the difficulty and you know this <clears throat> teaching from Sahara which was a great teacher of um, Nagarjuna in the mists of time saying that uh, the, the greater the suffering the greater the bliss that sounds very counterintuitive it's like no um, that's not you know it's all about trying to damp down but realizing this, this, dukkha is a is a gateway. It's not that we want to suffer. We don't want to just suffer unconsciously, but conscious the conscious a conscious relationship to the experience of dukkha is very different than just unconsciously suffering like mad and reacting. Conscious relationship to turning to it. Okay, wherever that dukkha arises, and you know we're working a lot within our personal sphere. When we kind of move into contact with the flow of the world, then it's coming from all directions all the time. You know, and so we have to build some capacity, some ability, some willingness to meet that, to be able to become more fluid. uh, My experience at Jen Cha was he could be in any circumstance and he was deeply okay. You know, he wasn't like, I've just got to hide in my forest hut forever. He had a hundred monasteries. You know, that must have been a little bit of dukkha to try and look after that lot. You know, um, <laughs> you know when he came to, to London and he was on an arms round one morning. And this is in the 1970s before people really knew what a Buddhist robe was. And he was walking along in Hampstead, been on Hampstead Heath. They had a small vahara. it's the first place that they lived. And these young, kind of yobos, as we call them in England, these young kids came up. Oh, look at that, kung fu, kung fu. And they went up and started to, they didn't actually fortunately kick him, but they went up and started like doing these karate chops with their legs and their feet towards Lumpur Cha. You know, in Thailand, that's like a death sentence. You know, to point your feet even in a shrine room towards the shrine or the Buddha is considered such bad taste. You know, uh, and to, you know to point your feet to a rev- i mean, Ajahn Chah was like the jewel in the crown of the Dharma scene, you know, there. You know, he was the personal um, teacher to the monarchy. He would, you know, just everywhere he went to think that anyone would go and kick their feet at him would be a, such a deep travesty, such a, a cultural um, offence of magnitude. And the Western monks behind him were, were absolutely horrified. They were like... And Ajahn Chah looked at this and he carried on. And then when they got back to the Vihara and they were taking his oh, bow, we're so sorry, Paul, we're so sorry. <laughs> he said, oh no, you've got good teachers here. <laughs> 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 that's how he would respond. This is a teacher, you know. It's not like, oh, how could they do that? They didn't understand, you know, they disrespectful. That's the Kung Fu that he had, you know, you empty, empty, emptying the conditions. Rather than getting completely tangled and making a big story, just emptying the conditions. That's the nature of ignorance. If we suffer for other people and what they do, then man, there's going to be no end of it. You know, we can really, really do that a lot. You know, suffer for other people's ignorance and lack of sensitivity and all the stuff that they come out with. So one has to have that resilience. of seen this is the ocean of samsara that we're in. And it's ceaseless There's been no end of ignorance. (laughs) It's not like that's ever going to end. That's always going to be appearing in some form. There's going to be no end of challenge. Even if you're awakened, look at the Buddha. You know, people trying to kill him, people trying to take him down all the time. You know, famines, crazy disciples. You know, had this great order, and then it turned into like, oh man, you have to make all these rules now because they're all doing crazy stuff. You know, and on and on, it never finished. You know, so you know, trying to finish it, get to the Hollywood end. You know, there, there does, you know, that's our fantasy that this, you know, the finish is in now. Right, right view, turning to how it is now. How is it now? this is right views. How is it now? What's happening now? And this is a, a beautiful way of inviting ourselves into what can be really hard to be with, you know, just soften around. Even the turning to dukkha is already the beginning of lessening of it. You know, we're, we're, we're not subtly perpetuating the dukkha by adding fuel through resistance, through aversion, through distraction. You now, admittedly, some forms that come up and some unsankharic patterns are so defeating that you can only turn for a few moments and you slip away and it get, you get consumed. But don't underestimate the power of those few moments or the work that you've done here, even if the conditions haven't subsided to the extent that you would like them to There's some enormous power in stopping that wheel, even, or slowing it, of reactivity, even for a few moments, you know, so that, you know, not to underestimate that. Because it starts to change the karmic relationship rather than just adding to that and flowing along in that sea, bobbing up, sometimes feeling happy and getting sucked into a vortex and lost. You're beginning that great return the great return back home the heart coming back to its own deep nature unperturbed in touch with the world but not overwhelmed by that world, wise to the world seeing it this is how the world is this is how mind is this is how feeling is it's you know it's dukkha it's not dukkha if we just see this is how it is and we start to engage and reflect it's dukkha when we just are swept along reactive stopping that train that's been going forever just moving from one condition to another, trying to find that settled place, just being willing to slow that down and have moments of it stopping, juddering (laughs) taking a breath and meeting and learning the skill of not just like stopping in a frozen state like I've just got to I mean, sometimes there is, as I mentioned the other day, just the sort of impatience, endurance, just hanging in here, breathing here, trying to... Sometimes that's what it comes down to, just not adding more. But also the skill in replacing the reactivity of the mind, the aversion, the lostness, the distraction, the overwhelm. And then how those deep patterns get triggered from that, like, I can't do this, I could never do this, uh, I feel completely done in, Um, I'm useless, and so on on it goes, and it's very deep, very constricted, very painful. A moment, a moment of deeply breathing, a moment of compassion. Softening, softening the heart. The moment of bringing a mantra, butthole, such as choice like delight to practice, butthole, being the knowing, or kuan yin, mercifully listening into how it is now. Gathering, steadying. Shifting postures, walking, opening the awareness, these skills, subtle skills sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't take a big mission. It can just be a subtle shift of effort, a subtle shift of intention, a recognition, oh, just be with this and shift the reactivity. A moment of equanimity. This too will pass. This situation will pass. This whole massive dukkha <laughs> around some situation will pass. A moment of looking at actually what is supporting me here, mudita. what's the goodness, what can I resonate which is wholesome and good and not just fixate on the problem peaceful space being fed with company surrounded by beauty hearing the Dhamma opportunity to practice opportunity to rest if I need that opportunity to take stock we're not in the middle of a war zone we're not on a Commute to our traffic. We're not, you know, in a, in a, and we might be one day in even worse situations. We will be, probably, <laughs> some situation. We can't go up, we can't go down, we can't go to a side. That's when, as Ajahn Chah said, that's what we, uh, this is preparation for those moments, this is when, what we practice for where do we put the mind in that moment what skill do we bring forth to meet it so this is a very humbling path it needs a lot of patience because we and the tiniest thing will knock us out <laughs> never mind the big things. (laughs) And and that's okay. You know, we start again. We always just start again and be realistic. This is, you know, this is planting seeds. We're planting the path activity, building that in each moment and the fruits of that will come in their own time, as it says in the Sutta. Wow, the activity of the path in and of itself, these path activity, mindfulness, samadhi, gathering, wise reflection, inquiry, contemplation, metta, karuna, mutita, upeka. Barami, it's all of this. So path activity. Who? charm. Who? Who's doing this? Who's worried? Who's holding this burden? Who's trying? Who hasn't got there? Perhaps most profound compassion, compassion, compassion for ourselves. So much self-judgment we all carry. Just softening, accepting, allowing patience. Path activity in and of itself breaks up the kilesa, that which obstructs. Faith to the path activity... Maga Hatikivesawa Patta Tammatang The Path activity breaks up that which obstructs the fruit the patta the fruit arises from according Tammatang according to the Dharma according to its own law, its own nature the fruits will come if we plant the path activity in time and space, because that's the flow of wholesome karma. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we thank God that they do in the right moment sometimes. Oh, that could have been a real mess. (laughs) You know? And I knew how in that moment, just to come back, and breathe and contemplate how is it now rather than react so crazily. So valuing our cultivation here over these days and the last days that we have, not so many days now. Valuing what you've done, what you're doing. Having compassion for those places that, you know, the super judge, it's not enough, should do more, not good enough, the should, the should. More allowing, accepting. The natural pace of how we're pacing ourselves and planting those seeds. Like once one of Ajahn Chah's disciples, I think we talked about him, Nando, who was uh, the one that was the Vietnam vet. So he was a warrior. He grew up, grew up in a very tough street kid, basically. Became tough Marine. Got very disillusioned, like many did. Went on the hippie trail. Landed up, washed up on Ajahn Chah's doorstep. and Became this brilliant warrior monk. And also had a lot of metta, actually practiced a lot of metta for over 20 years. But when he was a young monk, in uh, Wat Ba Pong, Vajjan he decided that, you know, wasn't tough enough. So he was going to do all of the practices. He was going to fast. He was going to stay up all night. He wasn't going to lay. There's one Tutonga they call, like, Tutonga is like a, one of the ascetic practices where you don't lay down, ever. You just sit. <laughs> he was going to do that. He was going to do all of it, the 13 Tutonga practices. He was going to try and do as many as he could. And, you know, feeling like he was really, like, going to crack through this whole thing. And he went quite proud to Ajahn Chah, telling him all the stuff he was going to do. And Ajahn Chah listened to all of this, and he just said, can't you just be normal? <laughs> <Can> you just... <laughs> you know, it's already enough, you know? <laughs> it's already enough to practice with. You know, if you get right view, you know right now... There's already gonna be some dukkha. There's already a place and point of practice with something. It's already a point of inquiry. You know, so just to breathe out. <laughs> Allowing ourselves to be nourished and supported here. Appreciative of all that goes into supporting us as we start again and value, appreciate, this unique and very privileged opportunity that we have this day to cultivate the path. Trusting that those fruits of the path will arise according to the Dhamma. The Dhamma does not fail us. It's the law of reality. of nature I wish you a really good day, practice.